I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hey, everyone. So today we're going to be finishing up our many-part series going through all of the color identities in Commander. This is our EDH rec data series, and what we've been doing so far is looking at deck lists collected on EDH rec and looking at the stats of the cards associated with each Commander. So EDH rec pulls data from MTG Goldfish and deck stats, and provides percentages on how many decks of a certain commander run a given card. EDHREC also has data on the signature cards for each commander. So the signature cards are the cards that are more closely associated with a given commander than any other. So for example, Azami Lady of Scrolls might have Naban Dean of Iteration as a signature card, because Azami focuses particularly on wizards, and Naban is wizard tribals as well. So we've done monocolored commanders, all the 10 two-color pairs, Mm -hmm. the 10 three-color shards and wedges. And today we're going to be finishing up with the four-color commanders and five-color commanders. We haven't been reviewing the partners because there's so many combinations. combinations, And that's especially true for the four-color. Like Pretty much all but one of each of the four-color decks is partner decks. So there's only one of each four-color color identity. So that part of the podcast is going to go really fast yeah and then we'll spend a bit more time with five color because there's been a lot more time to accrue five color commanders yeah. over the course of the game before we get into today's episode i just want to let you all know that commander theory recently launched its patreon page which means that all of you listeners can now start directly supporting the show and get access to some sweet rewards for as little as one dollar a month you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout out in the show's credits If you're willing to give a little bit more, you can hang out with us on Google Hangouts, get one-on-one deck advice, get your questions answered on the podcast, and more. So check us out on patreon.com slash commandertheory and become a patron today. We'll start off with Brea Ethereum Shaper with 3,470 decks. Yeah, incredible amount of decks. (laughs) I believe this is one of the top five commanders of all time yeah before we dig down into it what do you think we're gonna see in this deck freya is the not green commander and she is part of like the artifact deck it was like the four color artifact deck so Mm. i'm assuming people are gonna build with that in mind hopefully maybe making some artifact tokens or something like that to use her ability Okay, digging down into it. Oh, this is interesting. There's no signature cards for Brea. Yeah. uh, Which is a little surprising. Yeah, that's a bad sign. There's lots of top cards, and these top cards are all things associated with artifacts. Yeah. (laughs) They're either artifacts themselves, or they interact with artifacts. There's a lot of artifact token creation within Mm -hmm. these top cards. So the, the number one most popular card in the Brea deck is... Doretti Scraps Avant, yep. and that makes sense for multiple reasons. It came in the same deck. It's also <laughs> just a, a very powerful card. Char in the Hegemon, 73% of decks. Yeah, I think this didn't this also come it, in that deck? It, it did also come in that deck. <laughs> same with Solemn Simulacrum, mm-hmm. 
Baleful Strix. So a lot of these cards that we're seeing in the top cards are, are really just cards that came in the pre-con and did not get the axe. Yeah, yeah. People were like, oh, that's that's pretty good. Another thing about Brea is that in sort of CEDH circles, mm. she's used as an outlet for infinite mana. So if you have infinite mana of any color, then you can just continually recast her from the command zone and keep sacrificing your tokens to deal damage directly to players, or rather <laughs> sacrifice herself in one token. Yeah. We're not really seeing that in the way people are building it. I'm not seeing a lot of combo pieces designed to get infinite mana. I mean, in general, I think this is going to be a theme with these four color decks, is that we're going to see some signature cards, but maybe not many, but like a lot of cards that in general fit the mold. Mm-hmm. So there might be a theme, but not anything that's like particularly associated with these commanders. Exactly, yeah. Because this theme, for example, like Brea, is not the best artifact commander yeah. by a long shot. Yeah, definitely. This is just the one that lets you play both Esper and the cool red stuff. Yeah. That's, that's really what she's there for. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's kind of reflected here. So we're moving on, we're adding green and losing white, and it's Yidris. He has 2,533 decks... I'm going to guess that he is Cascade Tribal. That people played a bunch of cards with Cascade is going to be my prediction. That makes sense to me. Let's see. So no signature cards for Yidris, which again means that there are no cards that are particularly associated with him more than any other commander. There's a Ethereum Horn Sculptor in the top cards, and some of the like suspend but zero mana spells like Wheel of Fate. Well, I'm seeing Bloodbraid, Sunbird's Invocation, which is sort of Cascade, yeah. <laughs> Maelstrom Wanderer. Oh, yeah, like Rishkar's Expertise. That kind of also is similar to Cascade. Yeah, so it seems like people are really just building around his mechanic, although, I mean, although building of... around is not quite the right word. Maybe yeah. replicating. There's some thoughtful choices within like these top cards, like... Yeah. Treasure Cruise makes a lot of sense because its CMC is very high, but you're actually going to be casting it for much less. Yeah. So you can cascade into a lot of things off of that. Brainstorm. Yeah, Brainstorm sets it up. Yeah, set up your cascade. That that makes sense, although really he doesn't offer a whole lot of direction to build around, and people are just kind of latching on to, I want to do more of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what that seems like. And and again, the fact that there's no signature cards kind of leads me to believe that like there isn't really a clear enough goal people were given for this guy. I think it's interesting how many like pitch and draw seven cards there are. There's like Windfall, Wheel of Fate. Like there's a lot of card draw in these top cards and cards that people are playing. I think it's just <laughs> like Yidris is the deck for people who want a really visceral play experience. Because, oh. <laughs> like, cascading yeah. is very visceral. Like, I'm flipping, flipping cards. I have no idea what I'm going to get. Whoa, it's something awesome. Yeah. And then, like, wheeling and windfalling, that's also, like, going to throw all these in my graveyard, pick up, pick up seven new ones. Just the feel of a lot of cards running through your hands. I feel like that is... Something Yidris players want. Apparently, based on what we're seeing. I think that's the appeal, and that's mm-hmm. why we're seeing all these cards grouped together. It's Timmy, but in a way that's more than just I'm attacking for big numbers. It's like I am getting like sensory input from yeah. all the cards I'm touching. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that is mirrored in how I've seen people, the people who play Yidris play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they really like just like going off, like giving you just double strike and like just seeing whatever the hell yeah. happens after that. So that that 
it's just kind of like I'm going to do something big. I don't know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's I think that's how people are building Idris, and like, fine, yeah, good for them. And I know that the four colors are incredibly popular just because people wanted them. Like, it very well might be that these four color commanders like are offering that kind of like weird niche play experience as opposed to like an actual mechanic to build around. Mm-hmm. So that's actually, well, I guess we'll see with the next one. Sure. If this is a continued theme. All right. Uh, Saskia the Unyielding, 1,839 decks, so considerably less than the, the previous two. Yeah. Uh, also notable, there's no blue. Mm-hmm. She's not blue. Yeah. So the four bad colors, basically. <laughs> <laughs> On this one, I'm also not seeing any signature cards. Yeah. That, again, makes sense. Saskia's thing is attacking and, like, you get to play whatever good things you want because you're four colors, so... Mm-hmm. Not really a strong direction. Similar to the previous four color commanders, most of these top cards are just things that were in the pre-con yeah. that people <laughs> or de- came... declined to remove. Yeah, and also things that came out in the same year. Like, there's a lot of cards that came out in a similar time frame that are included, which I think is interesting and funny. Like, yeah. these are just cards people wanted to play. And some of them do synergize with her pretty well. Like, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight. With any damage doubler, Saskia deals double damage when she hits mm-hmm. and then she deals damage off of the trigger that is also doubled so yeah. with a damage doubler you're quadrupling her damage output which is pretty pretty good there's two main themes that people tend to go with mm-hmm. one is saskia voltron it's not all combat damage yeah <laughs> but she sure does lower your life total yeah she gets you down pretty quick I've yeah, seen Saskia Infect builds. I've seen a lot. I've actually... I think I've seen an equal amount of Infect builds as I have to regular builds. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to hit the open player and kill someone with Infect. Yeah. Although, surprisingly, looking at these stats, only 8.3% of these Saskia decks are Infect. I think I have to take a lot of my anecdotal evidence with a grain of salt nowadays, because I've been realizing that the playgroup that I mostly play with is a lot more advanced, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like, a little bit higher budget and... Play patterns and more permissive, more perhaps. Per- exactly. Yeah. The next commander is Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus. So <laughs> Kaneos and Tiro of Miletus have two thousand one hundred and thirty-three decks, and it's interesting that the worst of the four color commanders is more popular than Saskia, which is arguably pretty good. So this is four color, not black. I would expect this to be group hug and or pillow fort. Again, there's no signature cards. The top cards, though, <laughs> are very, very much what you just said. Oh, good. Yeah, who would have thought? Not lots of pillow fort, lots of group hug, but like the really, really prototypical ones. So it's the ghostly prison propaganda, rights of flourishing, sphere of safety. Selvala came in the deck, and that's one of the top cards. The first Selvala, the green-white Selvala, was in the deck. Again, I think it's like people played with the deck and were like, this is cool. This is actually a theme I didn't expect to see with all of these commanders. I guess it maybe just goes to show either how well-built the decks are, or I guess you could consider that a flaw. Mm-hmm. I know that like when they try to design pre-cons, they want to give people room to grow. Mm-hmm. But if everyone is just leaving it how it is... Yeah, leaving it perfectly intact, then they might not have succeeded in their goal. Yeah, maybe they just had a really good time out of box. I haven't played with the Kaneos and Tiro pre-con. Mm-hmm. 
What exactly are the win conditions? <laughs> there aren't many. <laughs> uh, I'm having trouble figuring that part out. Uh, I can't remember. I remember out of box there is only a few. I think one of them was Comet Storm, but I could be wrong. I think Psychosis Crawler was in the deck. I remember distinctively this one being one of the worst. I had friends who picked up like the set and sleeved them, and they just have them to play. Mm-hmm. Like Specifically these four color ones for some reason. And this deck is consistently the one that loses the most. Nah. Like, it might not lose first, but it never wins. It's funny how, like, in the very first Commander set, they made Zedru, which is basically a group hug deck, mm-hmm. and it was by far the worst. Yes. In part because it was competing against the likes of, like, the Mimeoplasm and Riku <laughs> and Carador and Gave and, like, it had really stiff competition, but it was also very bad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they come back with these four-color decks, and they make a group hug deck, but they also pit it against these extremely Efficient. powerful, like, Yidris Maelstrom wielder. He, he will kill you. Yeah, he kills you he very quickly. He will mess you up. Saskia, too. Like, that was one of the ways that this deck, Kanaisantir, dies, is, like, Saskia goes, oh, I won't attack you, and, like, names you, yeah. and then... Kills you anyway. Man, it sure is hard to get through a two eight, but good yeah. thing I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm, man, propaganda. I guess I'll attack this person instead. <laughs> I know it's funny how they like specifically designed another of the commanders in the same precon set to destroy this deck. Yeah, it when was... it wasn't even that powerful in the first place. Yeah, really not. Maybe they're just setting themselves up for failure. Is it possible to design a group hug commander that just isn't flawed? I feel like that's like a deeper magic philosophical question on like, can you make a group hug deck that you can like abuse the the hug more than other people? And if you can abuse the hug better, is that still group hug? I guess Edric would be the example. Yeah. Or Gaiji. I don't know if people would consider it group hug. Like if you could still peel away from everyone else. Yeah. I'll classify those as group hug because yeah. i think like group I, hug I itself the way most people define group hug is like i'm trying to lose i don't like most people's classification of group hug it is just like i am going to give away as many resources as possible and i have no plan for yeah. winning <laughs> i mean that is what most people consider group hug is like yeah i'm gonna put all these things so that you can't hurt me mm-hmm. and like not have any way to win mm-hmm there's multiple themes here with these four color decks. People didn't pull cards out and no signature cards, and we're at the last one now. This one actually surprised me because I thought that if any of these five commanders would have had signature cards, it would have been this one. Oh, yeah. And it is Atraxa Praetor's Voice. So this is the four best colors. Yes. If you weren't aware of what it does, it's at the beginning of your end step, proliferate. And it's got four evergreen abilities, and it's a 4-4. Four four, but really, like, it's that line of text. That's that's what you're looking at. Yep. Proliferate works really well with a whole lot of themes. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, so I'm, I'm surprised that there's so few signature cards. And, and this is one of my big criticisms of Atraxa, is there's no commander that synergizes with Planeswalkers as well as she does. Mm-hmm. There's no commander that synergizes with plus one plus one counters quite as well as she does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's no commander that synergizes with like miscellaneous counters as well as Atraxa does. Yeah. So you'd think there'd be a ton of signature cards, but really the issue, as as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> is that because she synergizes with so many different things really well, the Atraxa decks tend to be muddled and not focused on any one particular of 
like they could make a plus one plus one counter aggro with Atraxa, mm -hmm. but then you've also got all these planeswalkers that work great with her, or mm -hmm. maybe you're putting minus one minus one counters on your opponent's stuff. Like Yeah. I think that totally is the issue. I think that she just her net is so wide that it's hard to have I think that's kind of the problem with all of these, but she's like the exemplary one. Mm -hmm. Is that just the net is so wide, especially when you're four color, that it's hard to pull things out that are very specific to you. Um, like these decks tend to be like the best planeswalkers, the best cards with counters, and then some like staple support. And there's no signature cards, but that's kind of what the top cards look like. It's some decent ish planeswalkers some cards that care about counters or have counters and some like control aspects mm, that's the deck. that's it i definitely think that she could have been designed to be three different commanders maybe break up the color identity a little bit because there's an opportunity to create three distinct archetypes and instead we get one muddled one yeah definitely so i'm not super pleased with that nope definitely not and i think she is the most popular commander yes She's... you're correct atraxa praetor's voice yeah <laughs> has five thousand two hundred and fifty one decks it's a lot almost two thousand more than the next most popular commander of all time and i think again that just goes to like the net is so wide you can have like atraxa do so many things that like she appeals to so many people and None of them are super cohesive. No. I hate it. This could have been one commander that synergized with Planeswalkers, and then another commander that did plus and plus one counter aggro really well, and then another commander that synergized with like charge counters and other weird kinds of counters. Mm -hmm. Instead of just having one most popular commander all time, unlikely to ever be challenged, yeah. <laughs> they could have put three new commanders in like the top, say, 25 yeah. commanders of all time. It's sad, but I think they've learned their lesson now from like what like Gavin Verhey and people have said, and honestly, what we've gotten from the last year looking at most of the commanders that came out, like most of the legendary creatures that came out the last year, were like pretty spot on with like a theme. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that this is just a trend that continues. Mm -hmm. It keeps going. Uh, sorry about Boros, everybody, but <laughs> we, we we'll get them next year. <laughs> One quick question before we oh yeah before we finish we off on. with the, the four colors and this is a really broad one yeah yeah so take take your time in considering but do you think that commander 2016 and the introduction of the four color commanders as opposed to the partners yeah was a good thing for the format oh uh, no I don't think we needed that mm -hmm. I I think that as cute as that is as as much as people being like oh man, I really wish I could play this green-black deck in my, like, green-white-blue deck was, and how many people were asking for it. I think it was not very healthy for the format, because you end up getting, uh, like, as, as interesting as, I, mean, I know you said not to consider this, but, like, as interesting as Partner is, and kind of the weird options that has that is a whole other topic, I think just having these four-color commanders, like, in order to make a theme that feels four color strong enough to not just evolve into good stuff, like you really have to push that power level, which I think that even some of these commanders, it, like as strong as they are, didn't do, mm -hmm. which is a bad sign. So I think that like the sheer power that you need to put behind a four color commander to be not just good stuff, but also playable is 
too dangerous, mm-hmm. <laughs> like of a of a a power to wield kind <laughs> of. I also don't think it was great for the format. I think that it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Like when I look at what the format needs, it's always what new archetypes can be created. Mm-hmm. And there just isn't a lot of design space that's like all of these colors except this one. Yeah, there's not really a reason. There aren't a whole lot of themes that that naturally fit to four colors. Just the way the game is structured. Monocolor themes, those are really easy. Those align with the color pie. Mm-hmm. Two-color themes, those tend to come up when play design is coming up with draft archetypes. Mm-hmm. They have to anchor the draft around, okay, if you're in this seat and you have these two colors, what are you doing? Yeah. And so that creates a lot of themes that you know, when the power level is pushed enough, that might translate to commander. Mm-hmm. In very few games of Magic are you going to yeah. be playing four colors at once. Yeah, most of my life I've played kitchen table casual 60 multiplayer. Mm-hmm. That was most of my career as a Magic player. And I can probably count, probably actually both my hands over that span of years, how many times I saw someone sit down with a four-color deck, Mm -hmm. even in just regular magic. Like, it was more common, and you'll see this with the card numbers too, to see a five-color deck than it was to see, like, a four-color deck. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a reason to. Yeah. There's just not... If you're going to stretch your mana base that far, you might as well get access... Yeah. To the fifth color. Yeah, exactly. And most of the mana bases that do support four color support five color yeah. anyway. So you might as well play that fifth color card that mm-hmm. makes your deck better. Like, it, it, there's not really a reason to stop yourself at that point. The four color, I think that they made a lot of people happy because a lot of people like when boxes get checked. And a lot of people, like, they can just eat all the candy out of the bag. They get everything they want and, mm-hmm. like, can get that sugar rush and say, like, yeah, four-color commanders, yeah, that's what I want. I want to put this red card in my Esper deck. Like, that makes people happy, but I don't I don't think that is good. They were close yeah. to solving the problem in a more natural way. Mm-hmm. I think that they didn't need to print these four-color guys. I thought the partner was a good idea. Yeah, I think I do like partner a lot. But I think that they executed partners poorly. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that there are some themes where it makes sense to expand to four colors. Like, for example, what you were saying. Like, yeah. I, I had an Esper artifact deck, but I really want to throw in Doretti and Goblin Welder. How can I do that? Yeah. And I think that partners would have been the great way to execute that like what are the two base colors that make the most sense for artifacts and then you can add on any other partner commander in the appropriate colors to make the deck whatever you want it to be yeah to make the deck work they didn't do that necessarily they could have done that Mm because like building around artifacts you could make that is it you can make that esper you can Mm -hmm. make it blue white you can do any sort of combination of that yeah building around enchantments you can do it celestia you you can do it bant Mm -hmm. like that makes perfect sense. There's one color that doesn't really mess with enchantments. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one color that doesn't really mess with artifacts. And you probably could have come up with more natural themes like that, but... Yeah, they just kind of made these weird beaters or value commanders as partners, and I think that's was the biggest flaw, partners, is that they really didn't give you that much of a direction to go with. I think that Wizards has, understands at this point that we want legendary creatures that you build around, because yeah. partners came out like right around the same time we got Ulrich 
<laughs> another example of like we wanted to give you as many options as possible so we didn't really push you in any direction yeah you can do whatever you want with this which really means you can do nothing with this yeah because it can't do anything well i think partners with was them trying to rectify that but i really don't think like what's the harm of playing toothy with Sidar condo or something like that yeah like why can't i play peer with my ishai and get even more counters yeah like what's the harm in this if it was format breaking, the format will take care of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the rules committee is supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, let us play with the toys. <laughs> yeah, like, partner with doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. in Commander because you're not searching your library for them. So really, the benefit is just that you can sometimes have, like, only half of your commander on the battlefield. Yeah. Or, like, you get separate taxes to track. But really, it's not that different from just having one commander except you get the benefit of having fewer cards in your deck and and you can get priced out of one commander and kind of switch to the other number one of the five color commanders although not by a huge margin is scion of the ur dragon with 1630 decks scion of the ur dragon can you guess what what this is gonna be it is tribal dragon (laughs) so 85.4 percent of these decks are tribal dragon And the signature cards, and this does have signature cards, are all dragons or reference dragons. Yep. Things like the Ur-Dragon himself, naturally. (laughs) Atarka, World Render, Silumgar, Teneb the Harvester, and then Crux of Fate, and Varahelkai. Yeah. All these things that either reward you for having dragons or are just powerful yeah, dragons. Yeah, I like the Dragon Tempest edition, like that. Dragon oh, Tempest is great. I'm a big fan of Dragon Tempest. Yeah, that card is awesome. Love me some haste, and it's so nice when you get these kind of variants that are less than three mana. Oh, yeah. Like, Fervor <laughs> is kind of, is just terrible, but like, Ashling's Prerogative, Dragon Tempest, yeah. I'm into it. Definitely, definitely yeah. into that. People know there are some combos you can do with this. This looks like, looking at the signature cards, people are just beating you down with dragons. Yeah, surprisingly. Because there is a combo with Sign of the Ur-Dragon, and that's kind of what I expected to see somewhere on here. Yeah, but it's not really showing up. For those of you not in the know, what you can do with Sign of the Ur-Dragon, activate Sion twice mm-hmm. in response to itself. The first one resolves, you go get Molten Steel Dragon, pump him up, and then you go get your Skitherix... And you'd kill him. And then it's got fact, and you murder somebody. Yeah. I've also seen Surprise, it's Niv-Mizzet. Mm. It's pretty good. You're like, yeah, Sign of the Year Dragon. And then you go, Curiosity, ha And then you just kill <laughs> a bunch of people. But it's very interesting that people aren't building the optimal way. Yeah. The way that just kills you on turn six. Yeah. Without any acceleration. Yeah. It's Sliver Overlord with a very close second. It's 1,590 decks two tribal decks in the top is not not what i expected we'll we'll get more into that later i think there's a reason behind that yeah there there uh spoiler alert there are a few tribal decks in the top five cards yeah um but yeah this for this guy uh does have a bunch of signature cards it's like gem hide sliver mana whiff sliver sliver hive lord um quick sliver crystalline sliver sliver, very important sliver yeah gale rider sliver harmonic sliver And then Hearth Sliver for that haste. Right, as we're not seeing Synapse Sliver higher in the list. Yeah. 
hibernation sliver seems like by far the best thing to search out with yeah. sliver overlord like hibernation sliver does makes all your broken slivers way better yeah no it is it makes them incredible the other thing that i'm surprised isn't here is like patriarch's bidding mm-hmm. like i would have expected that like if not in the signature cards then in the top cards i expect that might just be a budget thing because it's like Maybe. 20 bucks these days oh god yeah. yeah um but that card is also nuts with this yeah that's the thing about hibernation sliver is like like patriarch's bidding the benefit is these kinds of decks tend to be vulnerable to board wipes Mm -hmm. but with hibernation sliver yeah you don't care (laughs) yeah okay they're all back in my hand and they got lifelink now so i'm just gonna gonna gain it all back and they have haste whoa and also like god hibernation sliver and harmonic sliver hibernation sliver and dormant sliver yeah if you have like Gem hide sliver, haste sliver, and heart the hibernation sliver, sliver. Then you are just invulnerable. Yeah, you can never. You like nobody can mess with you. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just so good, <laughs> <laughs> and you always have them. Who would have yeah. thought with yeah. sliver overlord? Uh, there is one one cute thing that I want to say that people probably know about by now, but the in the top creatures there is one sliver that's not really a sliver. Amiboid Changeling. And that's just so you can steal other people's creatures. Yeah. <laughs> Amiboid Changeling has the ability to target creature gains all creature types until end of turn. Mm-hmm. And is a changeling itself. So it's a two mana sliver, but also synergizes pretty strongly with your command. Mm-hmm. So that's some, some nice tech if, if you didn't already know it. So the next one, this is Child of Valara with 1446 decks. Do you have an idea of what this build is going to look like? No, I honestly have no idea what this is going to be. Oh, you're in for a treat. I am expecting that this is a lands deck. Ooh, let's take a look. There are two signature cards. They both came out within a year. I guess one's a year old now. So we've got Wayward Swordtooth and Tatiova Benthic Druid. <laughs> both of them relate to lands, and that is, if you're not building five-color good stuff, that is the way that people tend to build Child of Alora. Also in the top cards, you'll see like Ramanop Excavator, uh, Lord Windgrace, Temp with Discovery, Exploration. There is like a contingent of lands decks, although, again, as you were mentioning earlier, the more colors you have, the more powerful something has to be in order to get you to build a deck focused on that as yeah. opposed to just good stuff. So looking at the, um, the percentage here, <laughs> oh, man. 18% of these Child of Laura decks are lands decks, and the rest kind of just appear to be good stuff, mostly. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's, like, a super strong, cohesive theme. And maybe it's also <laughs> because, like, the text box doesn't clearly point you towards lands. Yeah. But this is kind of how it's been done. Like, with Child of Alara, the way people tend to do it is they'll have, like, a land that's a sack outlet. So, like, mm-hmm. High Market, Frexian Tower, Mirror in the Moaning Well. And then they'll have a, like... Full wrath stronghold. Yeah, to put and it back on top. Exactly. So, like, just this w- board wipe that clears everyone's yeah. stuff off the field all the time. I was actually going to say the, the the one new addition that I like a lot is Journey to Eternity. Because mm. you put that on your baby and you sack your baby and it turns into a land before the trigger happens. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty good with your commander. Yeah. <laughs> Having a land that reanimates something every turn is very good very good yeah makes it so that if somebody like assassins trophies your volras stronghold you got a, a backup back land. Up. yeah it's definitely sweet i've thought about this before and there's ways you can build this deck that you don't need anything on the board 
<laughs> like you don't even really need those lands. There's a way to build this deck so that the only way to disrupt you are counter spells and discard. <laughs> There's one buyback spell that's a sack outlet. It's called like Worthy Cause or something. Mm-hmm. And then you can have like Corpse Dance or Disturbed Burial and then get your commander <laughs> back that way. And then it's just like nothing your opponents do matters at all this is going to happen and they cannot stop you that's so silly oh and you can hit them for six with corp dance before you sack it again yeah that's really silly it's pretty strong so the next commander is general tazri with 1405 decks and this is ally tribal bunch of signature cards all of them are allies except for the land that helps you cast your allies Resolute Blade Master is very good in this deck. Mm-hmm. Jawari Shapeshifter is probably one of the better ones too. Airbus Druid and Seagate Lordmaster is some good ones. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. That is true. Make way too much mana. Mm-hmm. Draw too many cards. They did something that they should have done the first time around, which was just print allies that don't care about allies. Just print mm. allies that were good yeah. in battle, and which uh, definitely just helped the deck. Like Beast Caller Savant is an ally for no reason, but mm-hmm. it's better for this deck than not. I think that running most of these allies is not correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, I agree. Like, 59% of these decks have Fire Mental Mage, who, when it or another ally enters the battlefield, your stuff gets Menace until mm-hmm. end of turn. Like, that's not really a commander ability. No, that's not ability. really good enough most of the time. What I was thinking is it might make more sense to take out those kinds of cards and just put in a bunch of clones. Yeah, so that, I, I definitely think so. So that you get like way more copies of the best allies, because I mean, your commander, your commander finds you whatever the best ally is. You want a Seagate lore master, you got it. And then as soon as you get that solid good ally, then all those clones in your hand become live. Mm-hmm. And you can also just turn those clones into I'm going to make it a copy of General Tazri, and then go get another good ally that way Mm -hmm. like clones seem way better in this deck than just random (laughs) yeah like then just trying to this ally gives me a an an evergreen keyword no i mean that's i think one of the reasons that jawari shapeshifter is like one of the best allies is that like it is always the best ally Mm -hmm. like it's whatever you needed you get two of them now and I totally agree with that. I think that most of the clones are probably good enough in this deck. Yeah, especially, like, the really cheap ones, because, mm-hmm. like, you know, Phantasmal Image... Mm-hmm. Oh, Quasi-Duplicate? That seems pretty okay. Oh, like yeah, those spells. that's not bad, too. I was thinking yeah. of... Yeah, Mirror Image, the three-mana one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also solid. Yeah, any of the three-mana ones from... Uh, <laughs> From the last few years, there's, like, Faded Reflection and the Flashback one. Oh, uh, yeah, Cackling Counterpart. Cackling Counterpart. I think those are all probably good enough, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last thing I would want to say is that I do like that they snuck, like, the sneaky five color. Like, this is just white, but also, like, if not, mm-hmm. that's great. You yeah, I like how they do that so that you can actually play it in, like, a limited game or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just secret text for the commander players. Yeah, it's great. I think we're rounding out the top five now with the, the last guy. Oh man, I do not have high expectations for this. I don't. So this is Progenitus with 1,340 decks. This is the fifth most popular five-color commander, and I'm going to say it's that way because for the longest time, this was one of the only options for like five-color if you didn't want to like troll people. Mm-hmm. 
but it's just like a very clear indicator that your commander is never going to leave your command zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let's. I guess it's really just a signal. Yeah, let's dig in and see what it is. Not good. All right. So there are zero signature cards nice. for this deck, who which thought? is not surprising. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, he's got protection from signature cards. So top cards are really nothing you can. It's just good wrap stuff. Wrap your head around. Yeah. yeah, there's like Mirari's Wake and Cyclonic Rift and Maelstrom Nexus is here. Yeah, for some reason, like the two good Nicol Boluses and Ugin are represented in the top cards, and I don't fully understand why. Is it just because like when people like playing those cards? Maybe like Nicol Bolas. Well, yeah, <laughs> but like, like why it. in this deck? I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's no reason. Um, also, this is a card that's made it into way more decks than... We haven't mentioned it that much, because it's weird, but Tomio Field Researcher has been in a bunch of decks, and I don't... Like, why here? Okay, if you look at the themes that people are coding on their deck lists, mm-hmm. 20% of these Progenitus decks are Planeswalker decks. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was the Planeswalker Commander in Teletraxa usurped the throne... Yeah, but I did have a friend who who did that. He had a five-color progenitor stack that was just Planeswalkers. Yeah, and it was still very good. So we've got the Ur-Dragon with 1,055 decks. 96.3% Tribal Dragon, (laughs) as one would expect. (laughs) What's going on with that last 3.7%? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, really. It's It's a Voltron. The signature cards are really similar but ordered differently mm-hmm. than Diana the Ur Dragon was. Yeah, almost all the same. Almost all the same, but like Dragon Tempest is more important mm-hmm. in this one. It's a, in more like 93% of the decks, which I agree with, but also is not surprising. Yeah. This deck also in the top cards that weren't in the top cards before has like Dragon Speaker Shaman and Dragon Lord Servant that make which- your dragons cheaper that that makes sense that it wouldn't be in scion of the ur dragon though because yeah. it's like he's it's not going to reduce his cost yeah i just tend to hate these types of creatures because like they they're vulnerable and you wish they were just a worn power stone exactly yeah, uh, yeah i would have rather had a worn power like as cute as dragon speaker shaman is and like yes you can net more mana with him in like a turn sometimes yeah but also like most of these dragons are like cmc six or greater <laughs> yeah. so like there's even with the uh, reduction of two it's not that often that you're going to be casting multiple, multiple dragon in spells in one turn yeah and that's really the reason i really don't like dragon lord servant is that like a one one for two that makes your seven drop a six drop so you cast this on turn two and then you wait s- <laughs> sitting there you're like all right i hope no oh someone blast act bye yeah. and then now you have to wait till turn seven anyway to cast your guy mm-hmm. that's my opinion on those but yeah dragons people love dragons People love them. People love dragons. Um, the next guy is a dragon, but is not dragon tribal. So this is Ramos Dragon Engine, which uh, was also included in the dragon precon yep. from Commander 2017. Yeah. This is pretty interesting yes. way that people are building it. So there are signature cards, and among the signature cards, there is like one or two cards you would expect, maybe. So Conflux is very good in this deck. Yeah. Because it not only nets you mana, but it also gets you five cards. With which to spend the mana on. Yeah. There's Door to Nothingness, which, I mean, hey, it lines up perfectly. 
with the mana produced by Ramos. Yeah. But then there's uh, some more curious inclusions. Yes. <laughs> so within the signature cards, we've got Obzon Charm, Jund Charm, Sultai Charm, and Esper Charm. <laughs> you may have heard the term meme deck before. Yeah. When I think of meme deck, I think of a deck that is just an idea that's floating around in the community and gets transmitted regardless of how good that deck actually is. Mm -hmm. One of these meme decks that I've heard about is Ramos Dragon Engine Charm Tribal. Ramos with as many charms as possible with the idea that like, well, a lot of them, especially like the Alara and Tarkir charms, you know, they're a bunch of colors, they get you a bunch of counters and they're flexible enough that they can be useful in most situations. And I contend that most of these charms are not yeah. good enough to justify the deck slot, no. especially in a five-color deck. Yes, yeah, in a deck where you have like literally every card available to you, why would I run... Esper Charm. charm. Esper yeah, charm. Esper Charm. There's no benefit to running charms over any other multicolor card. Yeah. It begs the question of why am I running Esper Charm, say, which we'll just keep picking on that because it's It's by far the worst one and it's in the signature cards. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, why would you run Esper Charm when you could run Anguished Unmaking or Assassin's Trophy? Mm -hmm. Something that, like, yeah, it doesn't list out three bullet points, but it is extremely versatile. Yeah, and and cheap and good and still puts counters on your commander. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things about the charms that I think is important to note on that build is that, like, charms offer you three options that are all kind of middling, and the power comes in the flexibility. Mm-hmm. But if your entire deck is these middling effects, it, you're never going to win. <laughs> it's never going to be good, because most of the time those effects are not things you want anyway. Maybe it's something, like, where the badness is invisible to people. Oh, maybe. <laughs> like, because because there's so much power to be had in five-color decks that, like, you can just mess around with Obzon Charm and Esper Charm and then not really thinking about the fact that, like, okay, and now I'm going to cast this Demonic Tutor to go get my Wheel of Fortune to draw some more cards. <laughs> like, you're so subsidized by all the other power that you could be playing that you don't even think about how bad your, your deck's main maybe. game plan is. That's really funny. I haven't thought about that. The other thing that I think was a meme, but the more I think about it, the more I like it, is uh, Transguild Courier. Oh, dude, that's not a meme. That's is just... In, is in the top creatures. Yeah, and at it's... first I was like, no. And now I'm like, yeah. That's great, actually. Like, a 4-mana 3-3 three, three is not very good, but a 4-mana 3-3 three, three that puts ten, five counters on your guy and or 10 mana in your mana pool is pretty good. <laughs> no, there are some like extremely convoluted combos you can do, and yeah. Transguild Courier is a big help in them. Yeah, just having an easy to cast five color creature is pretty silly. Yeah. So, uh, I also want to note that it is so much easier to cast, because Fusion Elemental is also in the top creatures and how much worse that is. <laughs> It's oh wow, it's a huge difference. Yeah. Really want to highlight Conflux as like the backbone oh, of yeah. this deck. Oh yeah, it's great. Like Conflux makes this entire deck run and in fact is basically a combo piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. Conflux to get like a seasons pass. You can conflux, get five cards, one of which gets you back conflux and the other four cards yeah. from your graveyard. 
It's very good. It's really red. But now I think we're moving on to a, a very, very spicy boy. It's a Reaper King coming in with 892 decks. For those of you who maybe haven't seen it or don't know, Reaper King is hybrid generic and then a color of mana to make a five color commander. It's a 6-6, six, six, and it, other Scarecrows get plus one, plus one, and whenever you, another Scarecrow ETBs for you, you vindicate something. Yes. And the, <laughs> the signature cards are a lot of Scarecrows, and honestly, to the credit of... Um, Some deck designers. It's not all just all of the Scarecrows. Yeah. It's, thankfully, it's not just, like, all of all of the Scarecrows. Wing Rattle Scarecrow, you don't need to be here. Yeah. Like, you should probably... But, like, Mirror Entity, definitely some good use of the Changelings. Shapeshare is also very good as far as, like, Changelings go. But then, again, like, Changeling Titan doesn't need to be here. Mm-hmm. And they're also using Helm of the Host, which I think is the best. <laughs> that that's is that's pretty good with it's, Reaper King. It's a pretty good card with Reaper King. I know people with some pretty good Reaper King decks... Scarecrow is very good in those decks, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. It's also in the signature cards. I, I want to say that I really, really, really dislike the design of Reaper King. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is nothing about these two abilities that synergize with the traits that are and mechanics of Scarecrow. Of Scarecrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the, and actually, I think it's a red flag that some of these signature cards are changelings because changelings like they don't really synergize with anything in particular. A lot of them are just like vanilla creatures or French vanilla creatures, yeah, or, or just efficient creatures, which makes sense based on like how they were used in Lorwyn. Like they couldn't like commit to any of the mechanics of any of the tribes, yeah, because they had to be able to go in all of the decks. Yeah, the fact that like the scarecrows don't even matter really. Yes. Like, there's nothing about the Scarecrows other than their type line that gets them included in this deck, which is kind of discouraging. Like, it doesn't matter how bad a Scarecrow is, if it's cheap, it's worth running. So Heaped all, all-star in the deck. Yeah, so I really would have liked if Reaper King had cared about artifact creatures. There's not really any commander currently in print that cares specifically about artifact creatures. So that would have been a great way to support Scarecrows. In a mechanical way that isn't necessarily just like, Scarecrow. Exactly. Yeah. Or even if he said colorless creatures, and then there would have been a deck later on for like devoid creatures yeah. to find a home in. Because there's people that are, like, interested in that kind of theme. Like, Eldrazi. Mm. But the way it is now, like, some of the the signature cards and top cards are stuff like Arcane Adaptation and Conspiracy (laughs) and, like, Xenograph. What that communicates to me is, like, people don't actually care about running these Scarecrows. They're just going to, like, cheat the system so that they can, like play a conqueror's pledge and get six vindicates yeah whereas if they had had a more thoughtfully designed commander where like there's no other creatures that you would want to run besides these scarecrows because they match it so perfectly yeah or like verena would be an an example of like a commander that's really well integrated with her creature type like a you want to be attacking with your zombies so the trigger makes sense and b like zombies play out of the graveyard incredibly well You've got mm-hmm. all sorts of things like Gravecrawler and Hakon and just tons of reanimation on zombies. So dumping stuff in your graveyard as part of her trigger 
makes a ton of sense. Those are the kind of tribal designs that I want to see as opposed to just it enters the battlefield and vindicates and there's your value. Yeah. Uh, counterpoint, you do feel like deific when you like ghost way in response to a wrath and then destroy all their lands. Mm. That feels real good. No, I, I do agree with you though. <laughs> I do think that uh, this is a product of like that era of design of them not really thinking about commander at all in any way, shape or form. And mostly just thinking about like, what does the Reaper King do and mm-hmm. something like that. So I think this would be very different if it was printed nowadays. I think I remember reading a design story about this, and it's like, so, okay, we can give him plus one, plus one. Is there anything else we can do to make him a little more powerful? And someone's just, vindicate? <laughs> like, yeah, sure, yeah. let's do that. Yeah, missed opportunity. I think it's such a cool creature type, and, like, the art direction for Scarecrows has been really cool in the past. Yeah, There's been yeah, some, yeah. like, awesome-looking ones, especially in, like, Shadows of our Innistrad block. They had some really cool-looking ones, like Wildfield Scarecrow, yes, yes, Field Creeper, cool. Wicker Witch. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Or, like, the... What's the one that turned into a scythe? Oh, God, I can't remember. But that one also looked really cool, too. Yeah, there were just a... a ton of really interesting looking scarecrows and it's like visually they're so cool it's one of those things normally i don't like allow myself to (laughs) to like look past the quality of the cards and just be like oh but it's awesome yeah (laughs) and i feel that way about scarecrows so i just wish that they were better and i wish that the reward for them was more thoughtfully designed yeah it's sad the next commander is uh again tribal there's a lot of five color tribal decks Mm mm-hmm uh, we're not even done with them. Yeah. And uh, this is Horde of Notions uh, with 861 decks. Again, can you guess what the signature cards are? You did it. They're <laughs> elementals. Bunch a, of them. A, a bunch of elementals and, again, cards that care about elementals. You know what's very surprising to me? Bane of Progress is oh, in yeah. only 36% of these decks when there's, like, Ingot Chewer in 43%. Yeah. <laughs> or Wispmare in 41%. Or Torrent Elemental in 42%. Like, Bane of Progress is, like, the first card I think of when I think of powerful <laughs> elementals. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so it's so bizarre that it's not higher on this list above, like, Incandescent Soul Stoke and yeah. Soul the Harvest. There's a bunch of cards that I think are weird that are missing from the signature cards, too. And it might just be because they're good in so many decks, like Buried Alive. Things that put things into graveyards, like Entomb, mm-hmm. those are very good with this commander. Things that fix your mana better. Because mm-hmm. right now, like, signature cards, it's just, like, rewards for being elementals, kind of. Like, not even really. It's just, like, good elemental mold drifter. Yeah. These decks can be very interesting if had friends make Horde of Notion decks that were very good. He's also just, like, a good creature. Mm-hmm. Like, turns out having a 5-5 f- five, five for 5 that haste. has a, Yeah, Haste Trample Vigilance is, like, pretty good at killing people. Mm-hmm. I don't love his activation cost. Like it, oh, no. I hate it. It doesn't really... It feels like you're being way too fair... When you pay Wooberg to get back a Muldrifter. Yeah. Yeah, and you really are. Like, you really have to be, like, abusing it. So, like, Maelstrom Wanderer is, like, an example where, like, you cast Maelstrom Wanderer from the grave and then you get value. But, like, how many creatures can you really say you're, like, cheating? Yeah, getting that much mana worth of value. Yeah, it's not many. So, especially, like, when it comes to Elemental as a creature type. Mm -hmm. so. So, the next one, I think, is Corona the False God. 856 decks. So, oh god, she's god tribal. Because she's the Cause false she's god. The false god. 
<laughs> She's five color, five color cuts. Awful. It's <laughs> the worst. All right, we're not going to talk about that at all. Um, after her is Joda, Archmage Eternal, who I actually didn't like and have kind of come around on in a few ways. Yeah, it's, it's a, a ramp deck. It's a ramp deck. Uh, signature cards are very expensive. Conflux makes an appearance here again on missions. I'm glad that's here. I'm glad it's like semi-reasonable to obtain nowadays. Mm-hmm. Cruel Ultimatum, Brilliant Ultimatum. Yeah, Brilliant Ultimatum's pretty cool. Some of the Eldrazi are represented in the top creatures. Yeah, they make an appearance. I like that the Sunbird's Evocation is here. This is actually a deck where I feel like that's a reasonable card to include. Mm-hmm. Finally, we finally found one. <laughs> and then Fist of Suns itself makes an appearance. I'm more forgiving of that kind of stuff than I used to be nowadays. I mm. think it's I think it's fine. The next guy has a very near and dear place to my heart. It's Chromat. I don't really think we gotta talk too much about Chromat because there are no signature cards. Yep. Uh, Chromat is a very old card from Apocalypse. It was a uh, just kind of a legendary five color creature that was just like its deal, mm-hmm. and it has the enemy color activations because Apocalypse was all about enemy colors. None of which do anything super heinous or good, uh, other than, like, destroy a blocking or blocked creature. I think we're going to skip that and go to a commander where there is a lot to talk about. All right. This one is something I've got a fair bit of experience with. This is Najila the Blade Blossom. She was recently printed in Battle Bond, and as you would expect, she is all about warrior tribal. The top signature card that you may have heard about uh, being pretty good with her, it's Druid's Repository. Which I'm still very happy is very cheap. Yeah. Because this card is great for a lot of different decks. Not like Obviously, it's very, very good with her, but it's actually a better card than I used to give it credit for. So, Druid's Repository, for those who don't know, is one green-green for enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks, put a charge counter on it. And then you can remove a charge counter from it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yes. So the way that works with Najila is if you attack with five warriors, you get five charge counters, and then you can remove those five charge counters to activate Najila's ability and give yourself an extra combat step in which you can attack and get more warriors, more charge counters. Mm-hmm. So it's infinite mana, infinite attackers, infinite combat steps, and you usually win when you're in a situation like that. Yeah, you can usually pull it out. <laughs> like Grand Warlord Rada is here, uh, Champion Lambholt's here... There's some that I don't agree with being here, but that's kind of besides. I think I know which ones you're talking about. So, like, Samut Voice of Descent is in the signature cards. Yeah. I disagree with that for multiple reasons. One one is, like, other creatures you control have haste. That doesn't really matter because, like, once your commander is attacking, it's, it's probably fine. Yes. And also, like, Samut costs five mana, and that is really not what this deck is about. Yeah, you want to play as many on-curve warriors as possible. Yeah, especially, like, one and two drops. Like, you really, really want it to be so that on turn three, when you cast Najila, you're getting at least one warrior attacking. Mm -hmm. You need to start the snowball as early as possible, and five drops are not how you're going to do it. (laughs) Like, if you're building this deck, you're, you're prioritizing the two drops. Yeah. And of which there are actually a decent amount of two-drop warriors nowadays. Yeah. Very good deck. Yeah. It's very strong. I have stopped playing with it recently just because of how powerful it is and how how quickly it starts to win. Yeah, it's very silly. So we've got Sliver Queen, Sliver Hive Lord, and Sliver Legion. Um, Sliver Queen and Sliver Hive Lord are pretty close. Sliver Queen has 501 decks. Sliver Hive Lord has 462 decks. Sliver Legion, surprisingly, has only 81 decks. Yeah, and, and incredible. All of them are 
primarily tribal slivers. With the exception of Sliver Queen, which kind of blows my mind, uh, they all kind of have the same signature cards. Like, Jim Hyde and Mana Wesh Sliver are right up there. Mm-hmm. Let me go a little more into detail on Sliver Queen. Yeah. Whereas, like, Sliver Hive Lord is 73.7% tribal sliver, and Sliver Legion is 88.8% tribal sliver. Sliver Queen is is considerably lower. It's only 34.5% tribal sliver. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is in large part due to the fact that she's a really powerful combo commander. Yes. So if you get a Mana Echoes onto the battlefield, which is an enchantment, and it says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, add one colorless mana to your mana pool for each creature that shares a creature type with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So Silver Queen's activated ability lets you pay two generic mana yeah. and get a 1-1 one, one Sliver. Once you just activate that, you get mana back, you activate it again, you get even more mana back, mm-hmm. and pretty quickly you've got infinite mana and infinite Sliver tokens. Yeah. Also, cards of note are like Training Grounds and a Hearthstone, mm-hmm. which like reduce the cost of the ability to one. So you spend one to get a Sliver that can then tap to make a sliver that can then tap to make a sliver so that's another kind of if you got like an earthcraft yeah it's like a very it's a or if you variation got like, on like earthcraft with your commander basically yeah. if you've got like an ashnod's altar yep there's just a lot of combos going on with this commander so like that tends to eclipse just playing it as tribal as slivers tribal slivers yeah like she doesn't actually support slivers that well like yeah your tokens get the buff from all your other slivers but trying to like win with just turning slivers sideways is way less efficient than like well i, I guess i have a one card combo with my commander i'll yeah. probably just do that yeah I'll probably just make a bunch of slivers and win yeah yeah no definitely uh and the other two decks here's hive lord and legion are definitely very very fair mm-hmm. sliver decks like you are casting a bunch of slivers and attacking it's just very cut and dry, what you would expect. Like Silver Legion, again, I want to just say that I'm surprised that he's so low because yeah. he's a coat of arms. Like I can really easily imagine you going like Sliver on turn one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. coat of arms. And they'll get a huge someone. bonus. Yeah. Um, they all have like flying and haste or men or can't be blocked except by slivers or something. Like, And then you just kill someone. Yeah. Sliver Hive Lord, one thing that crops up among his themes 5.1% of the of the Silver Hive Lord decks are actually Planeswalker decks I actually agree with this I, oh, really? I, I think Silver Hive Lord is probably the best 5 color Planeswalker commander just because he doesn't die he just sits there yeah like I think it's really important that you have a commander that will survive like your devastation or your jokel helps so that like all these things you're doing to like destroy everything except planeswalkers coincidentally leave your commander alone Mm -hmm. and he also works really well with a couple like powerful enchantments that i think are awesome in planeswalker decks Mm -hmm. like if you've got the abyss if you've got oh yeah yeah spreading plague oh yeah yeah. like these enchantments just make it impossible to keep creatures on the board yeah that's actually pretty cool sliver hive lord is is totally unfazed by them so everyone go out and buy your copy of the abyss yeah no, but that take yeah, out a that's small actually, loan. Yeah. yeah, take out a small loan. There's just so many sliver decks that it's cool when something like that can happen. If someone wants to play slivers, they now have a myriad of options available to them. Mm-hmm. So like finding those interesting niche cases are pretty cool in this this kind of setting, that kind of regard. 
I like that. I like that there's multiple options. And I like that we also have a, a five-color Planeswalker <laughs> commander that isn't just, like, watch uh, from on high yeah. from your command zone, like He's, Progenitus. Progenitus sitting up there, head in the clouds, staring down. Heads in the clouds. Yeah, heads in the clouds. Now that we've gone through all the notable five-color commanders... Yeah, we, we hit most of them. Like, we only didn't talk about a few, but I think we don't need to talk about... <laughs> a Togatog. A Togatog and Okagachi. Yeah. I'm so sorry what they did to you, my baby, mm-hmm. my child. <laughs> what are some themes that you saw creeping up? Well, I, I noticed a couple opportunities for designs. There were a couple things in here that, like, were definitely not supported by the commander, but which people were trying to sort of force yes. and make happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, for example, we've got this Corona False God, God Tribal yeah. deck. <laughs> if people are really that in- intrigued by God Tribal, and there is some mechanical synergy among gods, like they usually are indestructible or have some other way to prevent themselves from dying, mm-hmm. I-, I think that they could easily design a five color commander maybe not easily because it's hard to find a place for that in a set these days yeah um but i think it would be interesting if they designed a a five color commander that destroyed all creatures you control somehow or like something that like made use of the fact that okay if you're playing god tribal then a bunch of your creatures don't care about destroy effects Uh, i thought it was interesting like in most of the other color identities, there is a meme deck, but in five color, there is a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. You had some ideas on it, but I think it might just be like the nature of five color, like the fact that people kind of lean towards five color to do goofy stuff because it lets them play the niche cards mm-hmm. that like some other strategy or commander wouldn't let them. For example, like the charm deck, Ramos charms. Like, if you wanted to build a deck that was all charms, you're automatically in five color, and so it... Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of pushes you in that direction. Because a lot of the time, like, with Child of Alara, I've never actually seen a real Child of Alara deck, because I always see, like, goofy joke decks Mm -hmm. with Child of Alara, and they're like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll put this guy (laughs) as the commander. So that's something that I think is interesting about five color and like just the sheer number of tribal decks in general is uh, I didn't think about until we did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not one but two dragon commanders. There's like all four of the slivers. Mm-hmm. There's the allies. Allies, yeah. There's scarecrows, scarecrows. elementals. Yeah, <laughs> just a warriors. warriors. Yeah, there's a lot of. Of the, uh, I mean, and technically a Togatog is tribal too, but like... Oh, I should have mentioned this. It might actually be worth to bring up Okagachi. Oh, yeah. Because more than 50% of Okagachi decks are tribal spirit. Mm-hmm. Which is actually something... Uh, actually, Yeah, we actually probably should have said that, but we're saying it now. Yeah. I think that there is a need for a tribal spirit commander mm-hmm. because so many of those old Kamigawa cards that trigger off spirits and arcane and stuff like that, like that is something that people would like highly gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of those old cards and there's room for new cards that could be played together in this shell that could be very fun, could also just be goofy. So going through Okagachi very quickly, and Okagachi, I just want to state up front that I do not think he is a good spirit commander. Oh, no, yeah, 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 definitely. Like, I don't even think he's a well-designed commander, but... Yeah, yeah, in any way, yeah. 
but uh, his mechanic has nothing to do with spirits. It's entirely reactive. Like, it doesn't give you any direction to build around. Yeah. But, and I know that just earlier in this episode, we were talking about how it's really hard to find designs that naturally fit into four colors. Yeah. But if you look at the signature cards and top cards of Okagachi, like what spirit cards people are trying to play, it's like a lot of white blue spirits from Innistrad and a lot of green black spirits from Kamigawa. Oh yeah. So like it's almost entirely green black blue white. Yeah, with just the dragon and like one or two red guys yeah, popping up. There's barely any red cards in this deck. So in maybe a natural non red deck, the Atraxa colors. Yeah. Would be Spirit Tribal. Yeah. Interesting. I think one of the other interesting things about the five color look, the five color commanders that are most popular are the ones where the power level is cranked. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but Scion of the Ur Dragon gives you an incredibly focused, like laser focused direction to build your deck around. Mm-hmm. Same with Sliver Overlord, I mean, General Tazri. Those three decks in the top five in particular, like, super tight focus onto a theme. Even Child of Alara had, like, more theme than I thought it was going to. So I think that's just, like, an example of five color put in the right zone. Like, using five color in, like, a correct way. Mm -hmm. You can get people to resist the call of good stuff, even with a lot of colors. If you make the design focused enough, and, like, the reward for following that that prescription powerful enough and i think that we see that with some of these cards mm-hmm. certain commanders we're going to see more of over the years i think ramos and ur dragon i think we're going to see more of them over time I might be able to like I jump think, up over progenitus I, I think we're going to see najila climb the rankings yeah i think people are going to discover her and see how much fun and how powerful she is yeah but to get onto the four color thing too i think that again like those decks are incredibly popular but they're incredibly popular because they're the only option mm-hmm. i think here with five color like where the most popular commander is 1600 decks you just have so many more things you can do and a lot of the time five color is hard well, that's actually something to talk about is harder to build so like you really have to want to do the thing the five color is doing to like put the time money and effort into building the five color deck Mm -hmm. like there are just as many like incredibly powerful like two or even one color commanders that don't require you spending as much money on a mana base or something like that so i think that that could be one of the reasons that these five color commanders aren't quite as popular as like their less color counterparts overall now that we've completed discussing like the decks in all 32 color identities (laughs) what have you learned from this exercise like how did it change challenge your perception of the format yeah i mean there's a lot more holes in the format than i thought there were there are a lot of designs that are grandfathered in that i feel like wizards is kind of keeping them from printing a card that should be printed so like to use an example from this episode reaper king mm-hmm. like reaper king exists so that's probably keeping them from printing a scarecrow tribal card even though they've said like innistrad really kind of wanted scarecrow tribal like stuff like that mm-hmm. i kind of feel vindicated in a lot of ways going through this because a lot of the things that have been said on this podcast are kind of supported with numbers in a lot of ways going through this exercise of seeing that the commanders that give you like a good hoop to jump through are usually the most popular ones for example brago with blink like mm-hmm. brago 
is like the top blink commander it like rewards you for building around this certain thing and is like incredibly popular or uh grenko Mm-hmm. Like just incredibly powerful commander, but um, you have to run all these derpy goblins. Yeah, during all these goblins, but like people do it and they have a good time doing it because you get to run these cards that fit into this deck and that don't fit anywhere else. Like, yeah. like Goblin Chirurgeon is an all star in Krenko, just because like hey, it counts, it's cheap, and it protects him. Yeah, these decks that are most popular tend to be the ones that reward you for playing these subsets of cards and. It's cool to see that, like, as a, like just a truth. <laughs> yeah, I think that like people don't like running good stuff. People want to experience something new in Commander, and mm-hmm. the only yeah. way to make sure that that happens on a regular basis is for Wizards to keep exploring these holes, these areas where players want to do this. How can we make it so that they're actually supported in doing so? Yeah. And do that to create entirely new archetypes. Yeah, because I think that is one of the things that differentiates Commander over other formats. Is like, yeah, it's casual and it's multiplayer. Those are the two kind of big standout things. But I think the reason people like it and the reason it's picked up as much of the player base as it has is just because the format allows you to play with way more cards than you can in other formats. Like, if you look at Legacy and Modern, like, there are really only maybe a few hundred cards mm-hmm. out of all of Magic that are reasonable to play with within those formats, where you have a hundred cards in your deck in a Commander game. Mm-hmm. So you kind of do have to stretch and find places to stretch to do something interesting that's different than just what you're doing in a Legacy deck. And to make that fun is something that building around a good Commander can facilitate. So all of a sudden you get to play with these kooky tribal cards and it works. Or all of a sudden you get to play with these instants and sorceries and you get rewarded for that or or something like that. Like that that is I think key to the commander experience and the reason why the format is so fun is it rewards you for playing with these like goofy cards and that's good. That's fun. I agree with that, and I would expand on that. Commander is not only popular because it allows you to play with a wide variety of cards, but it also allows you to play with a wider variety of archetypes than any other format. Yeah. Like, if a standard environment had 12 viable decks, we would all say that that's a really healthy standard yeah. environment. Yeah. But in Commander, there are hundreds, and I'm, yeah. I might be underestimating. Like, yeah. There is so many things you can do in Commander that feels completely different mm-hmm. from everything else. And are good, and are still strong. Mm-hmm. Like, even just looking at, like, all-time top Commanders, there are just within the top five options, like, there's five different archetypes. Mm-hmm. If you look at the top ten, there's ten different archetypes. Like, it's a format that kind of rewards these focusing structures and makes it as much fun as possible to do these like really specific things and that's something people want Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you want to be able to play with your cards in a format like this like you still don't get to play with most cards that you will own like like that's one of the reasons people like limited as much as they do is because they get to play with all these bad cards (laughs) and that's fun and commander in a sense taps into that same type of space we're like, oh, like I don't get to play these cards in other formats, like, but here I get to do this, and that's I think one of the biggest strong suits of the format in in general. I'm pleased with how many archetypes exist currently, especially within the last like few years. They when they've really started like figuring out what people want in the format, what makes a format good, 
we've gotten this like boon <laughs> this this like gift of new ideas that wizards has put out and i think that's gonna keep going i'm like optimistic about it all right i've got another question for you mm-hmm. one of the benefits i think of seeing all these decks and the way that hundreds of people build around the same commander mm-hmm. is you get a broad view of what the the state of the format is like and what people like to do what they don't like to do mm-hmm. after seeing all these decks how does that informed your view of the ban list that's a really good question it looks more or less like the format is a lot more self-policing than i thought it was mm-hmm. in like a major way like the almost complete lack of mass land destruction mass land destruction the like combo cards really not being represented even if that's like the best thing in a way that makes me think that like you know maybe if a little painter servant was unbanned it wouldn't ruin the entire <laughs> format i don't know what the ban list is there for anymore mm-hmm. i guess that's actually the the key point is that after doing all of this and then looking at the ban list i don't know who the ban list is for anymore like are you trying to guide new players with the ban list or are you trying to keep experienced players in check from like destroying the noob at the table who's only played like a few games of magic in their life like what is the ban list for that needs to be i think better defined and appropriately banned and unbanned cards for that Mm -hmm. is kind of how i feel now after seeing the way that people are playing this format i also have to change my opinion about like some of these cards that i thought were ban worthy because like they're just not showing oh, yeah. up in the numbers that I thought they were. People are really doing a good job of policing themselves. Yeah, it's very that was really amazing. And that's especially the case with cards that A are overpowered and B are also expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so like I think you could make a good case for banning Gaia's Cradle, but yeah, yeah. people aren't playing Gaia's Cradle in yeah. the numbers that you would expect. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think Gaia's Cradle and Crater Hoof, like, I still do think that should probably be on the ban list, just mm-hmm. because it's, like, such a singular thing. But it was in the top cards of so few <laughs> of the decks that I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why people are more okay with it Mm -hmm. if it's just that less people than i thought play with it and also like survival of the fittest like i I really don't like that card like repeatable tutoring for almost no cost but because it costs a hundred dollars yeah clearly it's not represented in the format you're not actually making that much of a positive change if you were to go out and ban it yeah and and yeah like like you said i think that they can be a lot more a lot more liberal when it comes to unbanning things yeah yeah because it is so self-policing Here's another question. Are there any cards that you saw in, say, the top cards or signature cards? Any cards that you saw in, like, a significant proportion of decks that you don't think are fun? Like, we just talked about cards that we thought were problems, and then looking at the state of the format, oh, that's not a problem. Anything that you didn't think was an issue, and then looking at the data, (laughs) oh, maybe this actually is something the Rules Committee needs to move on. I don't know about the rules committee. I'm just blown away by the amount of pillow fort. <laughs> like how many times we clicked on a commander and went, oh, there they are again. Mm-hmm. There's ghostly prison propaganda. I don't know if you have any ideas. Cyclonic rift showed up a lot. Yeah, that, those were the things I was going to say. Like certain staples showed up a lot. So cyclonic rift was one. Yeah. <laughs> so, which makes me realize why I've heard so many arguments for it being banned. Mm-hmm. 
Because it, it's apparently it's showing up at every table. Yeah, I still don't think it should be banned. Yeah. I don't think that, like, Cyclonic Rift is, like, a problem. Like, you don't win with Cyclonic Rift. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, you probably are closer to winning with Cyclonic Rift because your stuff didn't get bounced. Yeah. Like, I understand that it's not fun to but have it, your stuff bounced. But it's mostly an answer. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly an answer. Like, it's mostly a reactive card. You're like, oh, you're attacking me? Well, like, let's bounce all those guys, buddy. Mm-hmm. A lot of cards that would have been in, like, the Commander Theory top cards, like, in colors, mm-hmm. showed up in a lot of decks. <laughs> Which is not a surprise. But again, like I don't really think that's a case for like banning counterspell or yeah. something like that. That is worth discussing though, just like the fact that good stuff is a real problem. Mm-hmm. And if a card is just like generically powerful and annoys people in some way, like say Cyclonic Rift, then that's where the discussion is going to be yeah. in the commander community. So maybe the prescription to come out of that is to find more ways to discourage people from playing good stuff. Because I know that, like, I think the the command zone, they say that they, like, have a house ban on Cyclonic Rift. So work with your friends, figure out what cards, what effects you don't want to see, and also... Wizards can support this by just making more commanders that discourage you from running good stuff and like makes you play with a subset of cards instead of I'm just going to play the best cards in my color that everyone has seen a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. Because I I feel like that is more and more like if I'm like, yeah, I made this list like it or or someone comes to me and they're like, oh, can you look at my list for X commander? They're a lot less fun to look at most of the time. Like, I most of the time would not prefer to look at a list. I would rather you tell me, like, the ten cards you're excited about. <laughs> because most of the time, like, okay, yeah, you're blue. There's probably, like, an evacuation and, like, maybe a mystical tutor or something something like that. Like, you're going to see a lot of these cards, like, repeated over and over again. When I'm looking at a deck list, my eyes glaze over. Kodama's Reach, okay. Yeah. And, w- and when I build a deck, like, I always try to add the staples last i always yeah. start with filling out with as much tech as i possibly can and then it's like okay i got another 10 slots well let's see let me pull up the old top cards list <laughs> and see what's worth filling in these holes yeah with. yeah i always like my deck building process is like look at what works with the commander like that's the whole deck and then like cutting cards until the deck is a <laughs> works because mm-hmm. usually if you just fill in cards that work with your commander your deck either isn't going to work or it's not going to be strong so i just start with like the maximal amount of tech and then like cut back on tech until it functions Mm -hmm. and that's usually my first draft is like maybe this doesn't work super well maybe i do have to cut cards for other cards or maybe a card i cut is actually better after playing with something yeah but i like i always try to start with like as few staples as possible yeah and and sometimes you do have to be like well okay i I might need a few more answers yeah i i totally agree with your approach like it's so much better to start with as many new and unique cards as possible and then inch your way towards making concessions yeah exactly to the staples of the and format. it hurts every time every time you have to cut like like some goofy card or something out you're like oh man like this hurts my soul i think that is the biggest problem like the biggest foreseeable problem for a commander is good stuff people getting yeah people getting bored of seeing the same cards over and over yeah another thing that stuck out to me 
the impact of history. Yeah, yeah, the history of cards. On how popular things end up being. Like, if you look at the, the way things are organized, like what commanders have the most decks, yeah, there's a there's a big impact of, like, whether it's fun, whether it's a unique play style, but just, like, what came out first. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah. It's a huge deal. And, like, there's so many... Every time a strong commander comes out, it's like, man, maybe in, like, a year or two... It'll crack the top five. It certainly deserves to, but it's just got so much to fight through to get yeah, to that Yeah, so much point. competition. Yeah. That's something that I'm wondering. Like, how many green-black decks were there that just switched to, like, Marin of Clan, like, Neltoth when she came out? Mm-hmm. And how many of these new decks are, like, legitimate? The data that we have doesn't support, like, switching like that very well. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I would be curious about is, like, how many of these people updated to the newer commanders and just never put in that list or something like that? So uh, there's not really a way of knowing unless someone, there's a way to like self-report. So that's something that's an interesting problem to try and solve. I want to dig a little more deeply into something you said earlier, mm-hmm. how it surprised you to see how much pillow fort oh, God, yeah. was, which I, I felt the same way. Like every time we saw a pillow fort deck, I was not, not super pleased yeah, with it. Yeah, not super excited. It's the same with the uh, aristocrat decks. That was yeah. also something that like came up more often than I thought it would. Yeah. Should something be done about that? What can be done about that? Is it okay to just allow people to play these <laughs> passive styles, or, or should more cards be printed like cleansing Nova to show them? Oh, if you just invest in a million propaganda effects, you're just going to get blown out you're and just murdered. Get blown out. So I have been in many, many different playgroups over the years, and I'm currently in, like, two main ones and tangential to a few others. Mm-hmm. And, like, every now and then I'll play at a shop and see what's going on there. And this covers the spectrum of player experience. And I would say that one of the reasons that Pillow Fort is as popular as it is is because Commander is a casual format, and there are so many casual players. There are so many casual players. And... If you're here, you're here because, like, yes, this is a casual format and I'm playing casually, but I still want to be good. I still want to play powerful cards and play a good game of cards. And these Pillow Fort cards are cards that are prioritized by people who don't have as much experience and a lot of times aren't going to get the experience, (laughs) I would say, because the playgroups they're playing in. Mm-hmm. These are players that maybe one or two of them are going to go and maybe start following Pro Tour stuff. Or maybe they'll go to a Magic Fest and like keep going. Or maybe they'll play some other format at some point in time. But most a majority of the players playing in the format are playing Kitchen Table stuff. And whenever they hear, oh, I can't attack you, I have to spend mana, they get off on that a little <laughs> bit. I think that, yes, we do need more Cleansing Nova-type cards. I think that that is a totally reasonable thing to say. I think white needs better spot removal in mm-hmm. general in regards to enchantments, and especially in commander artifacts. I think that it's just something that people are going to have to... I feel extremely weird forcing people not to do something they like, even if it's really bad. Most of the time when people do something that's bad, mm-hmm. they learn that it's bad because they lose and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. With Pillow Fort, like, even if they lose, they still had this visceral experience that kind of 
sans over the fact that they were losing. Kind of what you were talking about with like the meme decks, mm-hmm. where they're playing like these wheels that refill their hands or something like that. Like their their deck plan works on the backs of these really strong cards. That's kind of the thing with Pillow Fort. Is Pillow Fort kind of glosses over the fact that the decks are bad by you being like, oh, but I lived for so long. Maybe it's like inherent psychological things. Like humans, they don't like uncertainty. They like security. You do get that feeling at least when you play a sphere of safety with five yeah. enchantments on the battlefield. Yeah. In a normal round of turns, if you aren't great at convincing people not to attack you <laughs> or you just like aren't good at reading the board yeah. and like figuring out what people are likely to do, who they are likely to go for, it certainly like takes away that uncertainty if you just play something as like now you can't attack me. Or yeah. now it's really difficult to attack me. And once they have that in place, they can feel like, okay, wow. Oh. <laughs> now it can, I can breathe it. easy. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually think that's part of it. Basically, I think Pillow Fort is popular because of perception mm-hmm. and players' perception and their wrong perceptions on it. Yeah. Because, like, when you do that, like, yeah, you feel like, okay, now I can focus on doing whatever else now that I'm safe. They don't necessarily see, but I also just spent five cards in my hand to put these enchantments on the battlefield and i'm no closer to winning yeah yeah exactly i think that is one of the inherent things about it i don't know maybe if people stream commander more <laughs> well, like something well, just people see that it's not good <laughs> well i'm thinking like what are the reason i hate on teleport so much yeah is because like the like optimal way to build say like a green deck you've got to have your bane of progress and you got to have a bunch of different green tutors so that you can get the silver bullet for any answer. Yeah. And if you're playing against a green deck like that, like a well-built one, they will almost always have access to a Bane of Progress, which will just wipe the floor Yeah, with that player. With any Pillow Fort-style strategy. But if there's anything we learned from going through this is that people aren't building their decks optimally. Yes. And especially, like, I think tutors were at much lower frequency than we expected. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So maybe like the answer is like you were like we were talking about earlier of just printing like duplicative effects. Yeah. So like multiple B- Bane of Progresses, multiple like austere commands, cleansing novas, mm-hmm. get it get them up to a critical mass so that they, they don't have to have the thought of like I'm gonna build this silver bullet system into my deck. Just make it so it's like Man, Bane of Progress is good, and this Dame of Progress yeah. is good too, <laughs> and Jane of Progress <laughs> is great, and it's like put all those in their deck yep yeah i think that would go a decent amount of way to helping that and like i said i think it's perception based so i think one of the reasons that you get so many kind of meme like repetitive ideas in regards to net decking in other formats is because it's very visible like you see them at the pro tour you see people streaming online stuff like that mm-hmm. and you can't really do that easily with commander which is That's i think why like game nights and like those those uh command zone shows get the views they get it's because it's a desired thing people want people want to see like commander gameplay and there isn't much of it yeah i definitely think like part of the reason that the the game nights is so successful is because like they're kind of like the only ones willing to put in the work to make commander really watchable yeah because it's really hard it's really hard and they've got like three full-time editors they got all the equipment and And, it's a lot yeah and and, yeah and josh lee quiet is like really good at his job and like Mm -hmm. a really talented editor yeah and it's not like any other format where it's just 
I'm gonna log on to Twitch and then spin up Arena and then yeah. go at it. Yeah, and then and then hey everybody, like let's look at this stuff go. Yeah, it's a lot more freeform and a lot more difficult. Yeah, you need like cameras, audio if you want to record it live, and then of course like it's not very watchable on Moto. Yeah, and then the other thing too, especially is that you are gonna have those games where just like, oh no, like. This happened recently. Oh no, Memnarch like stole a bunch of stuff, and the game is moving at a crawl, mm-hmm. and there's no way to win. And now, like, this commander's been lignified, but we don't have any cards. Like, that is just gonna happen, mm-hmm. and that's not very fun to watch. Yeah, it's just not. So, they- God, just imagine, like, you know, you you've hired a crew, you've got like a guy with a boom mic, you've got all this <laughs> lighting and umbrellas set up. And then, like, somebody sits at the table with his stack stack, and it's like... Yeah, turn three, reanimate, like, Sire of Insanity. (laughs) And everyone's like, really, dude? (laughs) Like, this is how we're doing it? Mm -hmm. And uh, there you go. That's a pretty good stream right there. Yeah. So I think that that those would be my answers to a lot of that stuff, is, like, I think it's just hard to get that kind of general knowledge into the population. Yeah. Just the way the format is. I, I guess, like, the the question to you viewers, the thing to think on before our next episode is what can be done to make Commander more of a spectator sport the way that other formats are so easily, like, yeah, converted into, like, a watchable product? Mm-hmm. The, Definitely. It's an interesting problem to kind of tackle. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, thank you all for listening and for sitting in with us throughout this entire very long series (laughs) and we've got more great ideas great content in the pipeline so yeah uh, keep on listening and before we go i just want to highlight something and give a thank you to a listener who left a review for us on apple podcasts this is from chance of a storm they gave us five stars and he said great insights into commander would recommend Thank you so much, Chance of a Storm. And if any of you want to share your thoughts about the podcast, whether you like it, whether you have constructive feedback, we're open to all of it. Leave us a review and comment on Apple Podcasts. Or or whatever uh, platform you end up listening on. Yeah, we're on Stitcher too. Mm -hmm. That information really helps us to improve the show. And if you like it, it also helps other people to see our content. Thank you to Bradley Pullen, Gustav Nyland, Ryan White-King, Mark Tranquilly and Eamon Schofield, our first Patreon patrons. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to make this show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. 